right, good morning, church. How we doing? Awesome. It's good to see you guys here. I hope uh, you're excited. I'm excited. We got some really awesome things going on. Uh, God's at work, obviously, with uh, we've seen 11 people uh, baptized in two services, which is great. That always fires me up, especially when you see families baptizing their kids. I mean, it's, it's awesome. So uh, my, my eyes were sweating a little bit down there. Um, but anyway, as you can tell in the video, uh, we have something else exciting going on. Uh, this 1-8 project that we've been talking about the past few weeks is something that we believe God is calling us on as a, as a church. Um, it's going to be uh, for the next three years, we'll be in this project called the 1-8 project, which comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is where God uh, gives this church the mission. And that mission is to go out and um, be, be his witnesses of what he's done and who he is uh, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And uh, and so what we'll be doing over the next three years is, is we uh, are going to be elevating our generosity for the mission of God. You'll hear that term over and over again. That's the purpose of this project. Um, and it really has two purposes and three objectives, right? And so uh, the two purposes are this. The first one is that uh, 100% people would be participating in it, right? And so I told you all last week, we're not the type of church where somebody's probably going to stroke a check for a million dollars. We're kind of scrappy. Uh, in a good way, I would say scrappy is a positive thing, uh, where I think it's going to take everybody, and I'm glad it's going to take everybody, because I believe uh, this is our next step of growth as a church, because I believe uh, money is a reflection of our heart, and so I'm seeing this project as an opportunity for us to grow and for God to do something cool. The second purpose is to raise $1 million over the next three years, right? And So that number sounds astronomical when you think about it, but when you actually divide it up a little bit, it's actually 140 people saying, we'll commit to give $100 more than we're giving now per week for three years, and uh, we'll be at a million dollars. And so when you break it down, it's not as much as it sounds, and I'm excited because I know God's in it, and he'll provide uh, for that. So three objectives. So what are we going to do? Uh, first, we're going to buy some land. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys are in the real estate business or have looked at land in Vidalia right now, but you would think you're in Manhattan, New York. Um, Land prices are, are up, and it's uh, so you guys be praying with me as God kind of makes a way for us uh, to figure that out. Uh, land around 280 and 292 right now is about $100,000 an acre, uh, and everybody says, oh my goodness, right? So, um, but anyway, God will make it clear where we're supposed to be, and I'm, I'm going to be praying, and, and I want you guys to be praying too. Uh, the second thing we're going to do is break ground on a permanent facility, right? So uh, that's the plan, and then the last thing is we're going to plant Connection Church in Athens, Georgia, right? And uh, so that's one of the things we want to do. Dustin and Rachel Phillips, uh, who've been here with us for five years, as long as our church has existed, uh, they're from Athens and have a lot of friends and family there that don't know the Lord, and God's really placed on their heart to go back home and plant a church, and we're excited and going to support that. And uh, it'll be hopefully the same way we planted here, and God will bless it, and it'll do some incredible things. And so that's what the 1-8 Project is all about. Primarily, if you just want to sum it up, it's about reaching people. That's what our church is about. If we build this big building uh, and we don't reach anybody else, uh, we've wasted both our time and our money. I've told you that before. And so we're not a building, building church, right? We're not, that's not what we're in the business for. We're in the business of reaching people. And so we believe that's going to facilitate us to reach people more and planting churches to us is the best way to reach. And so a couple things I wanted to show you that you should have received as you came in the door. Uh, this is the 1-8 Project uh, booklet. I made this for you so that you could kind of read through it and see it. Every information that you would want to know about the 1-8 Project is in here. Everything I just talked about um, is in here. 
And you also should see what we, what we call in our commitment card. And so a couple dates I want you to write down. The first one is on November 4th, uh, November 4th, and November 17th. All right, so what we're going to be doing on those dates is as a church, on November 4th, we're going to have an early commitment dinner, right? This is for people who you've heard about the 1-8 Project and you say, absolutely, I'm on board. You're just as fired up about it as me. Then we would love for you to come to an early commitment dinner on November 4th uh, at Durden Cabin at the Parton Park, which is where we first started as a church. We're going to kind of go back and, and talk about the vision of where we've been and what we've seen God do. And uh, then we're going to make commitments early uh, for three years, our three-year three financial commitment. And so that's what this card is all about. So if you look at it, you can see uh, this will be what you turn in. Um, so you'll put your name information on it. And then on the back, just so everybody's clear, I want you to pull this out and look at it. Uh, there's a couple things so you're not confused. Uh, the first blank is a jump start gift. So I've had a few people ask me, well, we want to give a big amount up front. Can we do that? Absolutely. So that would be what we call a jump start gift. And uh, so you'd put that amount there. The next amount is the annual commitment. So think about, uh, I put this little handy dandy chart on here so you can uh, look at it. So let's say, hey, you and, you and your family sit down with your finances and say, all right, we feel like we can not eat out uh, a couple times a week and we're going to commit to give uh, 50 bucks over and beyond what we're giving right now to the 1-8 project. Well, the, the chart, if you find 50, you can bounce over to monthly. That'd be 217 each month. In a year, that'd be 2,600. In three years, it'd be 7,800. And so that's what the chart's there to help you be able to do. Um, so anyway, the annual commitment <coughs> times three would be obviously that amount over three years. And then obviously the total would be the jump start plus that. And so I know when you start talking about money, people get antsy, right? And so here's the thing that I would ask. If, if you call Connection Church your home, and this is your church and you're a part of this thing, I would love for us as a church to be able to say that every person that walks through the door of this new facility one day, you played a part in making that happen. And that's what it's honestly going to take uh, for us to, to get where we feel like the Lord wants us to be. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be in a series called The 1-8 Project, and you should find a bookmark in there as well. And uh, what I want you to commit to do is to pray in over the next four weeks about what God would want you to give and also uh, praying for our generosity as a church because it's going to take all of us. And so um, what I'm going to do and what I, what I would ask for you to do is, is, is just take a day of the week, maybe it's a Wednesday, maybe it's a Sunday, and say, okay, I want to fast and pray about this 1-8 project, about what God's trying to do through it, about what, what God wants from me as I'm going to be a part of this thing. And so if you're not healthy enough to fast, uh, then you can just pray, right? So uh, we'll be doing that together as a church. So anyway, the first date, November 4th, that's an early commitment dinner, 6 p.m., Durden Cabin. Uh, you can sign up for that online. If you'll check our Facebook page after the service, there'll be a link up there for you. And then November 17th is the second date. That will be uh, not this, uh, it'll be three Sundays from today. And that's the day as a church, all together on that Sunday morning, we will be making our commitments to see uh, what God's going to do through this project. So um, with that, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Uh, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to pray for us and uh, we'll jump right in. Uh, God, we thank you so much for today. Uh, Lord, we're excited to be here. God, we're excited to be a part of, of what, you're, what you're doing. God, you're, you're saving people. You're transforming lives. And God, you're doing it right in front of us. Father, we, 
uh, could not be more thankful. Lord, we pray that you would continue to do that. God, that you would continue to speak to people through your word. God, you would continue to use the people that make up this church, uh, God, to show others Jesus. And Lord, I pray that people would respond to it. So God, soften our hearts. Lord, I pray for every heart in this room right now. God, though even the ones that maybe are closed off to what you have for them this morning, Lord, I pray you would soften our hearts. God, that we would come to your word open-handed. God, open-handed enough to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, whenever you want to do it, I'm open to it. So, Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, create in us your heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we're kicking off this series that we're calling the 1-8 Project. Um, and the reason we're doing that is you're going to hear a lot about this statement, elevating our generosity for the mission of God. That's what this project is all about. Uh, I believe this is going to be a big time of growth for us. Uh, you know, the Bible talks a lot about money. Um, God talks a lot about money, right? So everybody, when the preacher gets up and starts talking about money, everybody kind of gets antsy. But here's the thing I'd let you know. Money is, is, is something that indicates our heart. Uh, let me just take a little pressure off of you. We're not taking up another offering today. Um, and here's the good news. God, God doesn't need your money. God's got all the money. He owns it all. God wants your heart. He wants my heart. And when he has our heart, he'll have everything else. And so hear me as I preach this sermon. This is not about raising support for a financial project, though we're in that. This is about us growing as believers so that we can begin to trust God with every area of our life. Most of the time, one of the things I've figured out as a pastor is that one of the areas that's the toughest to trust God in is the, our, our finances. And so I believe God's word wants to speak to us this morning. This is the first series we've ever done on generosity, right? I'm used to preaching one week. But for the next four weeks, this is where we'll be. And so why, why do a series on this? Because here's the thing I want us to understand, and we know this if you've been here. We've been walking through the book of Acts. Generosity has always been a key characteristic of God's church. Always. From the beginning all the way to the end. We've seen it through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when the church first formed, there were people in the church that had needs. So what the church did is they literally put up land for sale. They sold everything they had to, to meet needs within the community of Christ of what they were doing. I mean, we see even in just history in general, the first hospital was started by Christians. The first orphanage was started by Christians. Salvation Army, which is one of the biggest benevolent programs or, 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 or organizations in the, in the world, was started by a Christian, right? It's, this is what God wants for us as Christ. When Christ has our heart, generosity will follow right after it. And why, why is this the case? It's because the gospel produces generous people. We've seen that throughout scripture. We say that all the time. And I want you to see it today from the life of a man named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. So let's read together, starting in verse 1. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so what did he do? He ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times that amount. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so what I want us to do today in the time that we have left is I want to ask three very simple questions. What does this passage, what does this story teach us about Zacchaeus? What does it teach us about Jesus? And what does it teach us about the gospel? So here we go, the first one. What do we learn about Zacchaeus? Well, the passage teaches us that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, not only a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, right? And he was also wealthy. And so here's the thing that I don't expect you guys to know about what a tax collector is in Scripture. A tax collector in their day would have been somebody who would have been hired by the Roman government. So in this time, Romans controlled pretty much the whole world uh, that, that we see in Scripture. And so the Romans would come into these Jewish communities and they would say, hey, I need one guy that's not worried about what people think about him, that's willing to work for the Roman government, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to tax the Jewish people, and I want you to tax them the way we want you to tax them because you're a Jew, so you know who has money and because you live amongst them, right? But here's the thing. I want you to tax them, and then on top of that, we're going to take a specific percent for taxes, but also any tax you get above that, you can keep for yourself. So it's like Zacchaeus was a mixture between an IRS agent and a used car salesman. Right, So that's how you can think of him, as he was not only somebody who had betrayed his people to work for uh, enemy government at that time, but he also was a person that was pretty much swindling his own people to get money from them for selfish gain and to become rich. And that's who Zacchaeus was. So you can imagine he was not very liked by the people of that day. It's why when literally uh, Jesus comes up to him, both the religious people and the, and the non-religious people were like, why is Jesus hanging out with him? Because he was somebody nobody liked, whether you were Jewish and religious or whether you were just a person, because he had betrayed his whole country, his family, his friends to take money and to become wealthy. So the question I want you to think about is this. How much would money have had a hold on Zacchaeus' heart for him to do that? How much would you have to love money to betray all of your friends, all of your family, everything you've ever known, to work for people just to get rich. You would have to think a lot of it. It, it, it. And that is so easy to see when you start looking at the life of Zacchaeus is that money had a grip on his heart. It was an idol for him. When I say the word idol, most of us probably think about an Old Testament where you would come before and worship a wooden idol, an idol or a golden calf or something along those lines. But idols are just anything that we love more than God. I want you to think about it like this. An idol is anything that's more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and mind more than God. What do you think about? Anything you seek to give you uh, what, what only God is supposed to give you. Fulfillment, joy, happiness. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that you should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. That's what an idol is. What do you think about? What do you look to to fulfill you? What, what would it be that you fear losing above all? That's what an idol is. It's something that we take uh, physical or a created thing and we put it in the spot where only God is supposed to be in our life. It's why Romans one twenty five teaches us that the essence of sin is that we essentially trade the truth for a lie and we begin to worship and serve created things rather than the creator. That's the essence of sin is idolatry. Uh, many people would say that the human heart is an idol factory. And so the one thing that we all have in common 
is that we all struggle with the issue of idolatry, including myself. And so we can kind of get that out for that. And Zacchaeus, his idol was money. He loved money. He trusted money. He obeyed money. Money controlled his life. But for us, some of us in the room, it may be the idolatry of money. It may be that we look to money and say, man, if I had money, I'd have everything I ever wanted. If I had this, I'd be so happy. If I had this, my family wouldn't struggle all the time and we would have everything we wanted. But for some of us, it may not be money. One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, would tell us that there are really four root idols in the human heart or in a human life. They're power, power meaning a longing for influence or recognition. Control is another one. That would be a longing for, to have everything go according to your plan. Comfort, which would be a longing for pleasure. And approval, which would be a longing to be accepted or desired. And he says, he says this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. If you haven't read it, I would suggest Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods is an incredible book. I want you to listen to this quote because it was so helpful for me. He says, idols come in structures. He says, sin in our hearts affects our basic motivational drives. Some people are strongly motivated by influence and power, while others are motivated by approval and appreciation. Some want emotional and physical comfort more than anything else. Others want security and control of their environment. People with the deep idol of power do not mind being unpopular to gain influence. People who are most motivated by approval are the opposite. They'll gladly lose power and control as long as everyone thinks well of them. Listen to this. Each deep idol, whether it's power, whether it's approval, whether it's comfort, or whether it's control, generates a different set of fears and hopes. Many times how we uncover the idol of our heart is we follow our emotions. What makes us happy? What makes us sad? And when we follow that back, what we find is the idol of our heart. Listen to this. Surface idols are things like money, spouses, children, through which our deep idols seek fulfillment. We're often superficial in the analysis of our idol structures. For example, money can be a surface idol that serves to satisfy more foundational influences. Some people want lots of money as a way to control their world and life. And such people usually don't spend much money, and they live very modestly. They keep it all safely saved and invested so that they can feel completely safe in the world. Others want money for access to social circles and make themselves beautiful and attractive. These people do spend their money on themselves in lavish ways. Other people want money because it gives them so much power over others. In every case, money functions as an idol, and yet because of the various deep idols, it results in a very different patterns of behavior. The person using money to serve a deep idol of control will often feel superior to others and use money to obtain power or social approval. In every case, however, money idolatry enslaves and distorts our lives. So my question for you is is when you think about what has the priority of your life, what is it that drives you? What do you think about? What controls your emotions? What is it that if you lost it, it would change everything for you? You'd feel like there was no meaning or purpose to life. For some of us, it may be one of these four. Actually, for all of us, it's probably one of these four. For some of us, our lives are driven by power. We think if we can move up to a position where we have influence over other people or we can be recognized for what we do, that that's going to bring us happy and joy and satisfaction, but it's not. For some of us, it's control. 
We have a plan. You know what I'm talking about, a plan? We're going to get married at this age. We're going to have this many kids at this age. We're going to buy a house in this age. We're going to do this. We're going to retire at this age. We have, a, we have a plan. And when things start not going according to plan, which God has a way of not making things go according to plan so that we can see his plans are actually better than our plans, and it's a lot less pressure when we're following him and letting him establish the plans than when we're establishing our own. For some of us, there's no joy in our life because we're never actually in control, and the idol of our heart is to be in control. For some of us, it's comfort. We think if we could just build this American dream life and everything could be comfortable and we could have this amount of money and this many kids and this family, then everything would just be okay. I find myself struggling with comfort all the time because I think if I could just go on a vacation and take off two weeks and not have to deal with people and just be there that I would find fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness. But actually, God's the only person that can give me what I'm looking for in comfort. The fourth one's approval, right? So some of us, we look for uh, what we can only find in God in approval, right? This is where social media comes in. For most of us, we post our whole life on social media hoping that somebody will approve of what we're posting. And it plays on itself until we finally get to the point where we realize it really doesn't matter what people think about us. We, want, we just have this desire for people to approve of us. But here's the truth. Nobody is ever going to approve of everybody. And so we find ourselves in this trap of approval when the only approval that we're designed to need is God's. So what is it in your life? Because here's the thing. If the idol is anything other than God, the question is not if it will fail you. The question is, when is it going to fail you? What is it in your life that you look to to give you what only God can give you? You see, the thing about Zach that I think is very, Zacchaeus is very interesting is this, that Zacchaeus, it tells you, and you may have missed it in there, but it says Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. So this was a wealthy man that had gotten everything that he had ever wanted from, from basically swindling his people. Nobody liked him, but he was a wealthy man. But what, what he realized is that wealth didn't give him what it promised to give him. And so he, when he heard about a guy by the name of Jesus, he wanted to see him so bad that he climbed up in a tree to say, man, can he be what I'm not getting out of my money. I, I think about Tom Brady all the time. He went on a 60-minute interview, and they asked him, Tom, you've got everything that life has to offer. How's it feel? you got a supermodel wife. you got all the money you could ever want. You're the greatest quarterback of all time. You have all the power, money, success that you could ever want. How's it feel? You know what he said? There's got to be more to life than this. That was his answer. On TV, live TV, literally that's what his first thought was. You know why? Because Tom Brady's heart was not created to be satisfied in worldly things. It was designed to be satisfied in a relationship with God. And Zacchaeus was the same way. What is it that's promising you everything but is going to leave you empty? The second thing I want us to look at is what do we learn about Jesus? You know, my heart behind this point, and I love this, is uh, there's a lot of people in this room right now that your view of Jesus has been shaped by something other than the Bible. And, and that's our problem in this country is we like to shape God around what we feel or what we think or what our parents thought or what some preacher thinks and not actually shape it around the God of the Bible. Because listen to me, if you know a God and it's not the God of Scripture, the fulfillment you're looking for in God will not be there. 
And so for a lot of us, what we do is we create a God in our own life that, that never disagrees with us. So because we don't want to be confronted in our sin or because we don't want to be confronted or, or, or grow, we don't want to grow in our relationship with God, we begin to create our own God. But man, when we look at Scripture, even a story like Zacchaeus, it tells us so much about Jesus and about God himself. The first thing it tells us is that he came to seek and save the lost. Think about it. Zacchaeus was a hated person. He was a bad guy. He was the person in your family that's secretly stealing money from you. Nobody likes that guy. Everybody wants to punch him in the face. Everybody. Unless you're more godly than I am, right? So, and, and here's the thing. Nobody liked him. Nobody in his family, none of his friends, nobody except for the Roman government that he worked for liked him. He had a miserable life, and, and people knew that, and he was a sinner, and he was wrong, and he was just doing some terrible things. God stopped by this city, and who was the first person he went to? He went straight to the worst of the worst. Jesus wasn't scared of his sin. He wasn't scared of the mess of his life and relationships that he had. He wasn't scared of what people thought about him. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This is where we miss it so many times as a church is that God is not scared of our past. He's not scared of the real you is what I'm trying to say. For so many of us, we're used to religion. We're used to coming in church and kind of putting on our Sunday best and acting like we have it all together when God's not interested in that you. There's no saving power in that. Because the only prerequisite to God doing a work in our heart is transparency and honesty. If we'll come to God with all of our junk, he don't want the future version of you. He don't want the version of you that you think you are. He wants the messed up, jacked up, smelly, ugly, secret sin you. And when we bring that to God and we say, God, this is who I am. I need help. I can't save myself. I've been looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in all the wrong things. That's when God says, hey, come here. Let me do a work in your heart. Let me do what you could never do for yourself. And it's in that moment that God transforms our life. And that's what he knew with Zacchaeus. The second thing you learn about Jesus from this story is that Jesus wasn't interested in surface-level religion. <laughs> what does he tell Zacchaeus? He says, listen, I'm coming to stay at your house today. If that was me or you and the God of the universe walked up and he said, hey, I know you didn't expect me. I know you didn't know I was coming, but I'm coming to you and I'm coming to stay at your house. Most of the women are like, well, is my house clean? Have I cooked? What's it smell like? Did I take the trash out? You know, you're thinking about all these things, but it just shows. God doesn't care about all that stuff. That's us, again, trying to put up this surface-level front of who we actually are when God actually wants the real you. That's what he always has wanted is a real relationship. For a person of this time to invite someone into his house was a sign that he wanted a true relationship. It was a sign of intimacy. If somebody invited you in their house in this day and age, they wanted intimate fellowship, acceptance. It meant that you were committing yourself to a friendship with someone. And that's what God was doing, is he wanted an intimate fellowship. He wanted a relationship. He said, listen, Zacchaeus, I see you for who you are, and I love you for who you are. The bad, the messed up, the screwed up version of who you are. I'm coming to your house, 
and I accept you for who you are, and I'm going to transform your life from the inside out. That's exactly what the gospel is about. Listen, religion tells you you need to clean up before you can come to God. Religion tells you if you obey, then God accepts you. If you do this, then God loves you. God says, hey, come, I accept you. Now let me send you out to obey me. That's love. That's generosity that I'm talking about. It's, it's the gospel. When you understand that God's love for you is not based on you, that God knows you for who you are but loves you and sent his son to die for you, yet while you were a sinner, that love explodes in your heart and it, it, the result is a transformed life. But listen, for many of us in this room, we're trying to transform ourselves. We're trying to do enough things to change ourselves. We're working from the outside in. Religion works from the outside in. The gospel works from the inside out. God doesn't want to make you a better person. He wants to make you a new person. That's the gospel. The third thing that we learn about Jesus is that he seeks out the one. I love this about our God. He comes to Jericho and he goes straight to Zacchaeus. Why? Because he had a divine appointment with him. He knew who he was coming for. Zacchaeus didn't, and I'm sure there were thousands of people in trees trying to see Jesus, but God had his eyes set on the one. The same way he says it in the Gospels, he leaves the 99 and goes to the one. Why? Because we have a personal God. That's what I love about him. He doesn't deal with all of us on a corporate basis. He deals with each of us individually. It's why I can preach a message and trust that the Holy Spirit's speaking to each one of you individually. The problem's never been God speaking. The problem is, are our hearts soft enough to hear what he's saying and do what he says? For many of us, our hearts are so hard that when God speaks to us, we don't even hear him. We're so prideful, thinking we understand everything and we know it all. But listen, God already told us we're all a work in progress. Until a day we die, we'll always be a work in progress. We have to believe it. Zacchaeus was a divine appointment. So I don't know where, where you are. I don't know whatever view Jesus, of Jesus you have or where it comes from. But what I do know is that God loves you just the way you are right now. It doesn't mean he's going to leave you that way. But it means he knows the messed up, jacked up version of you. And he, yet while you are a sinner, Romans 5.8, he sent his son to die for you. And listen, when you begin to discover that truth, God begins to prepare your heart to do something that you could never take credit for. But it's only when you come to a knowledge of that truth and that love burst alive in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit in an incredible way. The last thing is, what do we learn about the gospel? You learn one overwhelming thing from this story about the gospel. When we meet Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. I want you to think about Zacchaeus. You already know about him. I've already told you. He was a selfish, greedy, stingy, bad man. Everything he did was about his own selfish gain. But then he met Jesus. And when Jesus invited him in and accepted him for who he was and said, listen, I love you, the jacked up version of you. And he shared the gospel with him and said, man, what you're looking for, you're never going to find it in that because you're created to know me. And when Zacchaeus left that house, you know what he did? The very thing that gripped his heart, that he had money, that he had such a grip on him, so tight, God loosened it. And he came out of there and he said, listen, I'll give it, every, I'll give it all away. Anybody that I've done wrong to, I'll give it all away. Why? Because he had found something greater than money. 
Allow that to free you up. Listen, money's never going to give you what you think it's going to give you. But listen, when we come into a relationship with God, God begins to leverage our money for everything that it's worth. That's why we say here that the gospel produces generous people. Why did Zacchaeus' life change? It changed because he met Jesus. It didn't change because he started doing a bunch of rules. You notice, nowhere in there does Jesus say, Hey, Zacchaeus, here's a list of things to start doing. Nowhere. What he did is he said, come here. I want to have a relationship with you. Let's go to your house. Let's talk. Let's eat. I'm going to spend some time with you. And he probably talked to him. And he probably did talk to him about some things he didn't need to do and things that he needs to start doing. But he wanted him to know first and foremost that he loved him and he was accepted. And it was that, it was that truth that blew his mind. That the God of the universe would come down from heaven come to the worst of the worst in the worst of the worst time of his life and say listen I love you I want to do a work in your life this is not what you're created for and it transformed his life forever has this moment happened in your life listen I'm not asking have you been to church I'm not asking you to rededicate your life because I don't even believe rededication is biblical what I'm asking you has God transformed your life Have you met Jesus? Have you come face to face with the fact that he loves the you that's sitting in the chair right now? Not the secret version of you that you're trying to hide from him. He's just saying, come. Have you gotten to the end of yourself? Have you gotten to a point where you realize what you're doing is not going to work? The fulfillment, the joy, the satisfaction, the peace that you're looking for, it's not there. It's in God, and God's in front of you today, and he's saying, come. Just come. Just come. I have everything you ever need. Right where you are, I just want you to bow your head. I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you ever been brutally honest with God? The only prerequisite to God doing a work in your life is transparency and honesty. Today, for some of us, this will be the first time we've ever done it. Right where you're sitting, all you got to do is tell Him. He already knows. bring it to him and say, God, this is who I am. God, would you transform me from the inside out? God, would you do a work in my life? That's all I'm asking. If you're in this room today and you say, Billy, this is the first time I've ever surrendered my life to Christ. I've never asked God to transform my life from the inside out. And today's the day you'd say, Billy, that's me. I'm going to ask you to be bold. I want you to lift your hand up right where you're at and say, Billy, that's me. Absolutely. Today's the day. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is that anybody in this room? We would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you. Anybody in here? For the rest of us, here's what I want us to know. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, his life changed forever. Has God transformed you so much so that you're a generous person? Listen, the gospel itself says, for God so loved the world that he gave. This whole series is going to be about elevating our generosity for the mission of God. But listen, it starts with the gospel doing a work in our hearts. Has the gospel changed your heart? Have you become a generous person? Because that's what God wants for you and me. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Father, I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts. God, that the same experience that Zacchaeus had when he met face-to-face with you, God, and the gospel just burst alive through him. 
Lord, I pray that same repentance would happen with us. God, that it wouldn't just be a, hey, I'm sorry for who I am. But God, it would be, Lord, I've sinned against you. God, would you transform me from the inside out? God, I want to be the man or the woman you've called me to be. Father, help me. I need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you back next week.